God, I want to thank you for your grace, mercy, and your love. Thank you for moms. Uh, thank you for the gift through them that we've been given. God, I pray this morning for those who, who may have a, a, a tense relationship with their mother to bring healing and reconciliation. God, I pray for, for those who may have lost their mom. I pray that you would, you would give them a sense of your presence this morning and that they would remember good times. I pray for those who may not even have known their mom, but know that they are loved. And so God, as we dig into your word this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So this morning, we're going to start a new series. And I know we haven't finished the Gospel of John yet. I get it. It's only been two years, so you have to give me a little break on that one, right? We are going to finish it, and I promise, right after this series. Because this, this series actually has a beginning and an ending. Go figure. And the reason why I want to do this series now is because we've just gone through Lent, and we've looked at kind of where we are personally in our relationship with Christ. And in the summertime, people tend to check out of church because of vacations and things coming up. Hey, it's a nice day. Let's go do this. And I don't, I'm not hating on you. I would like to do that too, but you know, I can't. No, but seriously. And, and, and so, you know, things get, you know, summers get busy for people. And I want to get this in before summer actually kicks into full force. Okay, so the next seven weeks, actually the next eight weeks, is I'm taking a week off to play in the golf outing for Charlotte's Web. And I'm trying to bring Dave Miner's team down, but he won't let me on yet, but I'm still working on him. And, and uh, sorry, Don. And so, <laughs> and so these next seven weeks are going to be important. These next seven teachings are going to be important. And the series comes out of the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation, well, let me, let me, let me start with this. I actually taught this series in 2005. Now, most of you didn't know me back then. Uh, many of you didn't know me back then. And if you did know me, you knew that I was just the pastor of student ministries and I was doing some weird thing on Sunday nights with young people. Ha, huh, joke's on you. We're still doing the same weird thing. We're just doing it Sunday morning and you're all here. Ha ha. So, but, but anyway, um, I, haven't, I haven't looked at those notes from 2005. So I don't know if it's going to be the same thing. I think only like four of you might have heard this before. I think Amy and Jaron, he, he might have heard it. And other than that, this is all going to be new. Jared, were you there back then too? You sure? You positive? <laughs> maybe Will too. You guys too? Right. Wow, maybe I should just scrap this whole series. We'll move on to something else. Anyway, no, no. Um, so it's in the book, it's out of the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is a difficult book to understand. In fact, many people don't even want to read it. They just kind of gloss right over it because it's got all this imagery and it's got all this stuff going on and we can't make sense of it. In fact, Martin Luther said, you know what? We should just take it right out of the New Testament altogether. Because he said in chapter one, there's this promise of a blessing that if you follow these things, if you take these teachings to heart, you'll be blessed. And then by the end of the book, in chapter 22, it says, if you take these things to heart, if you follow them, you'll be blessed. And then it says, it has the audacity to say, if you add to this, then God is going to add to you all the plagues in this book. And if you take anything away from this teaching, he's going to take away 
your spot at the tree of life. And Luther said, how can you possibly be obedient to something you can't even understand? And so he wanted it taken right out of the New Testament altogether. Now, modern-day scholars, they have four different ways to really interpret the book of Revelation. And now we're not going to get into that because it's just really dry and Bible-geeky stuff. So if you want to know more about that, Google it. And it's all on the Internet, all right? But in the book of Revelation, there is a part of it, a section of it, that is very relevant for today. Very relevant for God's people. Something that we can dig our teeth into and learn from, especially in the context of church. Now, throughout Lent, we wrestled with our relationship with Christ individually. And I hope you took, I hope you took that serious. What was keeping you from entering into a deeper relationship with Jesus? And now, in this series, we're going to look at what's keeping us as a community from entering a deeper relationship with Jesus. What as a community should we be doing? How should we be living and doing life together? In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are letters to seven churches. And though these letters, these These sayings were written to a specific church at a specific time with certain things happening to that church. These words hold truths for us even today. It holds truths for churches throughout history and churches that have yet to come. And so if you miss a week, listen to it online because I do believe this is, this is important stuff for us. We're entering a new phase of our life as a community here. And it's important that we understand what the Bible calls us to do and how the Bible calls us, what the Bible calls us to do and how it calls, causes, calls us to live. All right? So the first church, the first letter is to this church in a city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was uh, it was one of the greatest seaports in the ancient world it it was right at the god bless you it was right at the mouth of the Caister river and i know that means absolutely nothing to you and it really should because it means really nothing to me but what it means is that it controlled all of the trade in this entire river valley and it was a hub for three major land trade routes that would come through here. So a lot of things were traded in the city of Ephesus. Gold and silver and food and wine and lumber, precious stones. Slaves were traded through here. One ancient historian would write that even the souls of men were traded. And so in, in commerce and in wealth, Very few cities came close to the stature of Ephesus. And it was also a free city. That means Rome allowed it to govern itself within its own territory. And it was an assized city also, which meant that every once in a while, the Roman governor would come into this city and bring all of the the pomp and circumstance of Rome with him, and he would set up court, and he would try very important cases. 
that meant something to Rome as, as this huge entity, this huge nation. And so Ephesus was very accustomed to the grandeur of the Roman Empire coming in, and it knew Rome's favor. It was also a center for religious activity. It was a very important religious center. Now, it had many temples, but the main temple was the Temple of Diana. And it was said that no expense was spared building this temple. It was beautiful, and it was just lavished with, with uh, gems and gold layered all of the, the pylons and the pillars and the inside walls. It was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was there in Ephesus. And the temple also acted as a bank. People would bring their valuables to the temple. And they would lock them in their money and, and whatever they, they felt was valuable. Because in those days, temples were very, uh, they weren't desecrated. They weren't robbed. And it was said that the temple of Diana was one of the safest in the entire world. The people who worshipped in this cult, as, as they worshipped, it was described as an emotional and hysterical frenzy. The priests were eunuchs because it was said that no normal man could ever stand in the presence of Diana, this fertility goddess. And the priestess, priests, the lady priests, they acted as temple prostitutes. It was written during the times of worship that the darkest, most shameful things would take place. Now, also within the walls of this temple, it was a safe haven. If you were a criminal and you committed a crime, it didn't matter what it was, mass murder from, or, or stole something from someone, if you were able to get to this temple... Before you were arrested, you were granted asylum. So within its walls, and in fact, within a 200-yard radius around it, if you could get there as a criminal, you could live there and not be persecuted, not be prosecuted for your crime. And so the choicest criminals, the most vile, the worst of the worst in the ancient world would live at this temple. And it was also the place where you could buy something called Ephesian letters. Now, these letters were, were charms. If you needed good luck on a voyage, if you needed good luck for your crops, if you needed uh, you know, some, some good luck in fertility or in business, you would go and you would purchase one of these letters and one of these charms. And it was said that these charms were the most powerful in all of the world. And so here is church this Christian church in a city that harbored the most violent and vile criminals in the ancient world, a place where that, that was deeply rooted in cultic worship and superstition. It was, the people were known as immoral and fickle. In fact, one ancient philosopher would write this about the temple. The morals of the temple were worse than the morals of beasts, for even promiscuous dogs don't mutilate each other. This is the city that this Christian church of Ephesus was part of. And Jesus will speak to 
that church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus opens up these words as, and it says that he is standing there holding seven stars and he's walking among seven lampstands. These two things represent the seven churches that he will write these letters to. And it's interesting when it says, he holds the stars in his right hand. The word hold is used in a very unique way in, in this original text, in the original Greek. If, if, if I hold something, if I pick up this bottle of water and hold it, well, I'm, I'm holding it, right? But I'm not holding the whole thing. My hand is around just the middle part, and the bottom I'm not touching, and the top I'm not touching. So I, I have this in my hand, and I'm holding it. I'm going to take a sip of it. But the way it's used here is very different. It's, it's more like if I were to hold this bottle cap in my hand and I put it in the palm of my hand and close my hand, I have the entire object in my hands. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to these churches and especially to the church in Ephesus, that he holds the entire church in his hand. Not just one church, not just a few churches, all of the church, church capital C, entirely in his hand. They belong to him. The churches that would profess Christ as their savior, the churches that say, yes, Jesus is the way to get to the father where the spirit of the Lord has rested upon those churches. Jesus holds all of them in the palm of his hand. They belong to him. And it says that he walks among the lampstands. He walks among the churches. The presence of the risen Christ is in each one of those churches. His presence is not confined just to one, but to the church. He holds the church in his hand. And as he walks among all of his churches, the spirit of the Lord has rested upon. He is active and alive and well. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see what he's trying to tell us? Too often we allow stupid stuff to get in the way of small C church becoming the large C church. And we allow things to separate us. We have our style of worship, our style of preaching, our style of dress, our style of doing things. And the church literally right over there has a different style of doing things. And you know what? That's okay. That's a good thing. But we allow too many things to get in the way of us joining together. We're all in the palm of Christ. We are all sit in his hand. And, and we compete and it's stupid. It's like uh, if I used a stronger word, I'd get in trouble. I would like to. It's stupid. And it's hard, and, and I get it. 
it's hard for a pastor not to worry about certain things and worry about who's going where. I, I understand that. But we're all in the hand of Christ. You've heard me say that. I'll say it again. We are not the way. We are a way. Jesus is the way. We are a way of doing church, of living faith. And we have to stop. We have to stop letting the things that separate us get in the way and come together as the church. Strong, united, and pushing back the darkness. Do you know that in this church, this oasis, we have, we have, we have somebody in this church that calls this church his home that actually serves in another ministry at a different church. <gasps> I know. How awesome is that? We have, we have people that just visit this church every once in a while that have their, their own home church that just come and visit. How cool is that? We have families that send their kids to a different church to youth group because we have yet to find the leadership for a youth ministry. And that is a shameless plug, so take it for what it is. But how cool is that? And we have the majority of you call Oasis your home. But let me tell you something. Let me be very clear with you. You are not my people. You do not, you are not the property of this church. You are God's people. And you are the property of Jesus Christ. And you are members of the kingdom. And I am just privileged that I can come alongside you on this journey of faith as a pastor. But all too often, man, we just let the stupid things get in the way. And now maybe you ask, well, well, what about the Bible? I mean, I mean, don't we, I mean, they do this, we do that. We say that's wrong. They say this is, well, let me tell you something about that. Let me tell you something about this, about that. Okay, here we go. There is no one church that just does what the Bible says. There is no one person that just does what the Bible says. Because if that was true, every guy in this place, you'd be missing at least one eye, probably two. And if you don't know what that means, read your Bible. Ladies, don't laugh because you would be wearing a patch too, okay? And so what we do is we read the Bible. We read these sacred texts and we try to interpret them the best that we can and live them the best that we can. Yes, there are black and white things in the Bible. There are specific harmonies that God has called us to walk in. Things like money and honoring parents and lying and pride and sex. Those are things that are very clearly laid out in these, in these texts the way that God wants us to live. But there's other areas in the Bible that, that the Bible seems to be silent on. Or, or, or just quiet. Things like music and movies and alcohol and dating versus courting. I don't know the difference. Um, worship. And so what we do is we, 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 take this, we take these words and we try to interpret them the best that we can. And then we try to live those things in the best that we can. By the glory and the power of God's Spirit. We try to honor God in those areas where the Bible just is, is quiet on. And so we, we, yeah, we got our stuff. We, 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 we do what we do. 
and they do what they do. God holds all the churches in his hand. When the spirit of the Lord rests, they are in the hand of Jesus Christ. There are, yes, there are wacko churches out there. Westboro Baptist Church, you know, that church that pickets the funerals of the soldiers that come back. I will say this. They do not worship the God of the Bible and the spirit of the Lord is not on that church because my Jesus is not a Jesus of hate. My Jesus is a Jesus of love. No matter how much you have sinned, there is redemption in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so some of those people, yes, they miss, they miss the point and they've got it all wrong. But where the spirit of the Lord resides, Jesus walks through those churches. Focus church, focus on the things that bring us together. And that is Jesus Christ. And let's just shed off the things that, that separate us. And that basically comes down to human pride. It comes down to our own human pride. Now this church in Ephesus, it's, a, it's, a, it's an active church. It's a church that's got life to it. It's moving. Look what it says. And know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. This church is on the move. They're working. And the way it's kind of worded here, it's, it's exhausting work. It's work that, that it's toil. It's hard work. And this church is getting it done. I bet you they have outside the wall weekends. Maybe that's where it first started in the church of Ephesus. But they're doing something. They're diligent for the kingdom of God. And the whole time they're suffering. And they're suffering hardship. But they're persevering through it. They're, 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 they're just pressing on. And they're turning those sufferings into glory for his name. And they have this discerning spirit about them. They're checking for false teachers and discerning who is teaching a false doctrine and who is bringing the true word of God to them. And they won't stand for false doctrine. But you know what really freaks me out? I mean, a lot when I think about this. What is, what is the mark of a true teacher? Someone who teaches truth. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not the words he speaks. It's the life that the person lives. And you know what? <sighs> it makes me nervous. Because the Bible says that I will be judged more sternly. Because I have hopefully answered God's calling to this. But, is your, but, but it should cause every one of us to pause. If you have ever spoke the name of Jesus to someone, is your life reflecting the words that you've used? More and more and more. And so this church, it's taken its hits. It's endured through persecution and suffering. And not like suffering that we have today. Not like we call, you know, we're being persecuted. Like, you know, we can't hang the Ten Commandments on the walls of public buildings anymore. We're being persecuted as Christians, right? Or they've taken prayer out of schools. And that's, that's kind of a persecution. Or maybe they're trying to redefine the definition of marriage. Listen, I don't mean, okay, I mean to mock those things a little bit because I think that we just spend too much time standing up for what we don't like instead of standing for what we truly believe and standing for the good and the glory of the gospel. But that's not being persecuted. Those things are important, don't get me wrong. But that's not persecution. This church, 
this church, they were alive. They worshiped Christ in a time where you had to worship Caesar. And you would have to go once a year to the temple of Caesar and kneel down and take incense and sprinkle it on the altar and say these words, Caesar is Lord. And and then if you said that, you would get a piece of paper, your certificate. And by that certificate, you can get a job. You can buy and sell things. These Christians would not kneel to that altar. And so they were perfect. They couldn't get a job. They couldn't buy the basic necessities of life. They could be jailed and lose their property for their faith by not bowing down to Caesar. They can even be killed. That's suffering. And that's suffering that we have no idea about. But this is what the church in Ephesus was going through. And what does Jesus say? Well done. You have not grown weary in all of this. I mean, are those the words that we long to hear one day from Christ? Well done. Well done. There's a yet. Yet, there's a but. Check this out. Yet I hold this against you. You are forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans. Now, we're not going to spend any time on that. Let me just say what that is. That's Nicholas of Antioch. He went into this heretical teaching where you as Christians can do anything you want and didn't matter. And obviously Jesus didn't like that. So, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who are victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus says to this church, I have something against you for real I mean, I look at this and go, really? Come on, Jesus. I mean, this church is persevering through trials and suffering. They're, they're, they're doing things for the kingdom. They're weeding out and protecting good, they're protecting good doctrine and weeding out false teachers. They're only human. But Jesus says, man, I got, I got something against you. You What's it say? You've forsaken the love you had at first and look how far you've fallen. Now there's two things going on in this one statement, two very important things going on in this one statement. The first thing is somehow, somehow this church with all of its, um, with all of its diligence in living for the kingdom has lost love for each other. They've lost this this sense of of community. Even even through the testing and the trials and the tribulation, they've they've lost something. Maybe maybe they've become hard with each other or just indifferent. Maybe they're just not caring for one another. Maybe they're not taking the time to get to know each other. Let me me show you what I mean. Dave, come up here for a second. Everybody, this is Dave. Say hey, Dave. He's been here, what, five or six weeks? Yeah. He's he's new to our, he just started coming when we opened the building. And uh, some of you have introduced yourself to him. 
Some of you maybe have taken the time to get to know him, but many of you, many of you have not yet. I mean, do you know that, that his dad was a pastor? Do you know that he studied philosophy in college? And that even though he studied philosophy, God is still drawing him deeper into a relationship with him. Do you know that he owns his own condo and that he's single? You can thank me. You can thank me later. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> have, you, have you taken the time to invite him to the cafe for a cup of coffee? Because if you did, you would get to know that he doesn't drink coffee. He likes hot chocolate. Just saying. Do you even know that his name is not Dave? That it's Matt. This is Matthew Gleason, and he's new to our community. Did you? Good. <laughs> and Matt is a Jesus follower. Church, this is where it needs to start. The love of community. We have to be able to get to know each other. And as people come through these doors, we have to open up our lives and greet them and get to know them. Even the ones that may be here for the first time. Many times I have looked out and seen guests come. And as we're milling around and chatting and talking as we're greeting one another, they sit kind of awkwardly with no one talking to them. And, and, and see, this is about what it means to love one another, to get to know each other. Jeff hit the nail on the head last week when he said, people are not going to stay in this church because of the programs, because of the ministries, because we have a nice building, because of the music, whatever. They're going to stay here because they feel loved. They're going to stay here because they feel accepted. And that has to begin the moment they walk through that door. And it needs to continue to infinity and beyond. I'm serious. I had to throw a movie quote in there. So I got that. I'm good. <laughs> Pretty smart for a ball guy, huh? So, <laughs> wait, you're messing me all up. Wait, okay. So, Wednesday night, we had our community time of prayer. And Bonnie Garish prayed that we would continue to grow as a church transparent people, that we would begin to let people into our lives and, and see our struggles and see our hardship and get to know us. And we would also be a people that gently knocks on the door of other people's lives and want to be involved and care and love. And man, you know, when that, when that takes deep deep root in the community. And I do believe we are, we are moving in that direction. We continually move in that direction, but we cannot become comfortable. But we are moving in the direction of loving each other. And once those roots go deep into the ground, you will not be able to contain it anymore. And it will just flow outside of these walls, into the world, into your everyday life. And we will love people into the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. See, so many of you don't know each other. 
We're a small church. So let's get on that, okay? And so, like I said, there's a couple things going on here in this text. And the other thing is, how is our love for Jesus? Have we canceled the honeymoon? Is it over? We spent seven weeks in Lent really looking and digging down into the things that separate us from, or not separate, just maybe strain our relationship with Christ. And I hope, my prayer is you took those seven weeks seriously. I mean, for me, God got a hold of two things in my life and went, yeah, that and that. I want those. And I want those to be gone. No more excuses. Very clear to me, the Lord said, no more excuses. When God speaks, man, you better do something. because. And so, and I hope that you found yourself in that place, that God's speaking to you. What were those things that were separating you from him? And I get it. When those things happen, it's hard. It's difficult. I heard one preacher say once that Satan, he binds us with handcuffs, but they're made of gold and they look so nice we don't want to get rid of them. But they're still handcuffs and we're still in chains. Has God been working on you? You know, for for a relationship to grow, there has to be this continual contact with the other. So here's my question. How's your prayer life been? I mean, really, how has your time of prayer been? How has your time in the word been? Are you making excuses still for that sin in your life? That God has been very clear, it's time to go. How is your serving for his name? And you know, I know that we're only human, and we fall short in so many areas. And maybe, maybe if we just began to hold on to, to remind ourselves of what Jesus actually did for us. Think back to Palm Sunday when we saw those images on the screen. Think back to Good Friday when we watched his passion as he was nailed to that cross. Do you remind yourself of those things? When was the last time that your sin has brought you to your knees in tears. When was the last time you, you were brought to tears because you were just thinking about how much God loves you and how much grace and mercy he's bestowed upon you? When was the last time that really grabbed a hold of your heart and did something there? Jesus is telling this church in Ephesus, I believe he tells us too, time to repent. It's time to stop doing the things that we shouldn't be doing and begin to do the things that we should be doing. And that is loving each other. We are called to love the exact way that we are loved by God himself. Because if we don't, there's a consequence here. And it's a very severe consequence. Look what it says. Where does it say it? I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Wait, okay, let me just get my head around this. This church in Ephesus is doing kingdom work. 
They're doing things for God. They're maintaining sound doctrine. They're being persecuted and they're not growing weary for the kingdom. But if they don't get it together and start loving God and loving each other, the presence of Jesus will be taken away from them. I'm going to say this. A community that doesn't have love in it, the presence of Jesus isn't there to begin with. The presence of Jesus is not there. No matter how many projects, no matter how many ministries, no matter how many outside-the-wall events we do, no matter how many houses we'll build, no matter roads we're paving, it doesn't matter. Unless we love God and love each other, the presence of Jesus is not here. Your faith, your faith is deeply, deeply personal. Your faith was never meant to be lived privately. You have been called to live it in the context of community. How you live your life every day, every day, affects you. The good and the bad. The things that people see and the things that people don't see. But how you live your life also affects the community you are a part of the good and the bad. And so as we allow the Lord to work in our hearts as individuals, let's constantly remember that he wants to work on us community and that we would continue to grow deeper and deeper in love with each other together. Pray. God, want to, Thank you for your word and that you cause it be written. And even though, God, sometimes it's hard, uh, we welcome it into our lives because we know that the more we, we come alongside it and engage it and, and, and look to you and, and open our lives to the spirit, the closer and closer that we begin to look like Jesus. And so, Lord, I just I give, our, I give us over to you. Teach us to love each other. I mean, teach us what it is to love each other and teach us what it means to love you. Thank you that you never stop loving us, that we are perfectly loved in your sight. We can't earn anymore. We can't get it anymore. Help us just to share that. I guess, God, maybe we need to recognize it and understand it for ourselves first before we can actually give it away. So here we are, your people. Allow your spirit to do the work that only your spirit can do in our lives and in our hearts. Praise you in in our own weird, twisted way, God. We love you. I know that sometimes we don't show it and we fall flat on our face. We love you. Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.